The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Danger Zone, Part 3. Written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. John Murdoch, CCCP, Rooftop. Even from his position on the rooftop, John could feel the heat on the back of his neck from the buried explosives in the destruction corridor. Looks like that training on improvised explosives is still paying itself off. He focused back on the street. He had to do this exactly right, otherwise two of his teammates and potentially a lot of innocent people could end up dead. No pressure. He had been reading and rereading the reports and the journal he had left for himself. He had been practicing as well, igniting his fire, controlling it, manipulating the flames to do exactly what he wanted. There was something different from his old self besides being healed. Control was much easier, and so was energy expenditure. He felt like he could burn and burn and burn until there was nothing left for him to destroy. The aspect that made it somewhat difficult was that he lacked experience with it. He had to be careful that he didn't get over-enthusiastic. Relaxing, he first let the fire ignite in his palm, then engulf his hand. Almost instantly, it seemed as if there was a white-hot flamethrower belching hell out of his arm as the flames swung down into the street. John could faintly feel what the fire was touching, as if he was a fireman at the end of a hose pouring out a stream of water, and he barely sensed the blowback of the stream hitting things. There. He knew that the trooper's armor was fully engulfed. He focused the flames on those points, intensifying it. Satisfied, he shut the fires off. Everything dissipated immediately, save for some spot fires he had started. Rosalka immediately set to work on those, using water from a leaking fire hydrant on the street and rushing it to keep the fires from spreading. The entire process took less than ten seconds, from start to finish. Ground units, move in to engage. Take the fight to the fascista. The residual heat radiating from the ground still felt like an open furnace against John's face. He watched as Molotov vaulted over the barrier he had been stationed behind and closed with the first Krieger. The Krieger was still dazed from the firestorm and didn't see his attacker until it was too late. Molotov dodged the first clumsily swung arm, pushed aside the second, and then uprooted the Krieger by lifting one of his legs out from underneath him. The Krieger fell flat on his back and was trying to right himself when Molotov casually walked over and stomped on the Krieger's helmet, crushing it inward with a sickening crunch and shriek of tearing metal. The CCCPer shouted something in Russian before charging forward again. John had picked up his rifle and was alternately shooting or blasting with fire at the remaining Kriegers. What'd he say to him? He looked to Rusalka for a brief moment before scanning for more targets. Rusalka grinned, keeping her eyes on the street. He said, This pig died quick and easy. It will not be so for the rest of you bastards. Seraphim Airborne. Well, now I have the tiger. 
Sarah had caught up with the death spheres, which had turned to evade her. Now they were all poised above the roof of the CCCP HQ, and Sarah suddenly felt very naked and vulnerable indeed. She didn't dare show that, however. If the Kriegers inside sensed even a moment of hesitation, they would strike, and she was no longer what she had been. She arrowed for the nearest, aiming to engulf it in fire, and either use her spear on it, or hope that someone down below noticed that the spheres were above them and decided to try a weapon from below. With the tentacle arms lashing at her like a nest of cobras, she landed on top of it and surrounded herself with flame, concentrating to raise it to white-hot temperatures. She sensed the mental babble of the Kriegers inside. They knew this tactic, and knew what it meant, and their only hope was to get her off before she could fatally weaken the armor of the sphere. The tentacles were not constructed in such a way that they could reach the top of the sphere they were installed on, so long as she crouched, but the operator of the sphere began all matter of gyrations trying to throw her off, or throw her into the path of one of the tentacles. She called her sword and hammered it into the skin of the sphere, desperately using it as a handle to hold on. The second sphere was in trouble. While the one she rode bucked and spun, the CCCP had noticed the danger overhead. The CCCPers on the rooftop were firing RPGs at it, regular warheads designed for penetrating tank armor, while those on the ground finished off the last of the armored troopers. John Murdoch was also blasting it with fire, weakening sections of it. Despite this, the second sphere was coming to the aid of its comrade. Sarah saw the tentacles stretching for her, and knew there was no way to avoid them without throwing herself into the reach of the tentacles on the sphere she was riding. The Kriegers were either taking the chance that she was vulnerable now, or had intuited it from her actions. It was with a mingling of fear and relief that she watched death reaching for her, and could not see a way to escape it. She closed her eyes. There was a wash of heat that swept over her in an infernal wave, followed by the sound of a muffled explosion. She snapped her eyes open in time to see a lance of fire pouring into the second sphere. The sphere she rode stopped bucking for a moment, and she looked down to the roof. John Murdoch had his eyes fixed on the sphere, and was filling the interior with scorching flame through a hole made by the RPGs. The sphere stopped its forward motion, jerked a little in the air, and then partly burst at the seams with gouts of fire spilling out and debris splitting the air. The sphere started descending rapidly, clipping an abandoned building before tumbling into a section of the destruction corridor. There was no way that anyone could have survived inside the burning wreckage. The sudden knowledge that she would live after all gave her a burst of strength. She took advantage of the sphere's momentary pause to assess where the pilot was inside. There. Yes. Within reach. She summoned her lance of flame. Forgive me. She leapt and tumbled along the top of the sphere until she was just above the pilot and, without hesitation, slammed the lance of fire down through the armor, impaling him and pinning him to the control panel where he sat. Then she leapt into the sky, beating her wings frantically to gain distance, as the sphere shuddered, as though the death of the pilot had struck a blow into its heart and began to gyre wildly. It tumbled out of control, canted over sideways, and followed its fellow down into the destruction corridor. 
she lost sight of it behind a roofless building, but the explosion and belch of flame and black smoke that followed on the sound of the impact was more than enough to tell her that the sphere was as finished as its fellow had been. She glanced down and again caught sight of John Murdoch. As if her gaze had drawn his attention, he peered up, saw her hovering above, and waved. Her heart contracted painfully. Did he remember at last? No. No, of course he didn't. She could see it in his face. She was just another fellow fighter. It was a gesture of congratulations, nothing more. Her spirit plummeted. One of the armored Kriegers had somehow escaped the fate of his brothers, and he must have found a way to climb the blank back wall of the CCCP firehouse. She spotted him just as he levered his massive weight up onto the roof, the helmet optics centered on John's back. The Krieger raised his arm cannon. She called all her fires, and dove, fire sword at the ready. The Krieger never even saw her as she skimmed his shoulder. A second later, his helmet, with his head in it, toppled from his shoulders. Without direction, the armor shuddered into immobility freezing in place like some grotesque martial statue. Bulwark, Bella, Jeannie, and Mel. Echo Campus. Bella hadn't really expected Armageddon to be unleashed when she'd asked Jamaican Blaze to do her thing. A lot more fire was what she'd had in mind, not a replay of the firebombing of freaking Dresden. On the other hand, when the fire vortex roared up into life, she could not honestly say she was unhappy. Terrified, absolutely. Coming to an absolute blank when she tried to think of what she could do if it got out of control, you bet. Unhappy, however. No. Not even though she could sense the blooming of panic, terror, and pain coming from those armored troopers. She resolutely hardened her shields and told herself ruthlessly that they'd had a choice of whether or not to obey their commanders and attack and tucked the, but what if they hadn't, into the place she looked at deep in the night. Now they were vulnerable to regular armaments and powers, and with Bull expanding his shield to cover everyone that wasn't on the offensive, she gave the order to pour it on. Too bad you couldn't fire from inside that shield, but at least he could cover the medic corps and give them, and whoever they'd dragged to safety, some protection. Red Genie watched as his allies advanced on the remaining Kriegers. There were perhaps only a few dozen left. The Kriegers had lost, though from their defiance it was clear they had yet to realize it. Or perhaps they simply didn't know that surrender was an option. Whatever drove them, it amounted to suicide as they threw themselves against the amassed Echo troops, who had little option other than to shoot to kill. Amidst the carnage, Red strode wearily to assess the fallen. It was an odd sight, seeing so many of the Kriegers in one place, often in piles, as they had resorted to using their dead as cover. Now they were strewn everywhere, lifeless, would-be conquerors caught in a well-executed trap. He paused by a heap of dead soldiers, and a movement caught his eye. Trapped beneath the bodies of its fallen comrades, one of the Thulean troopers strained to free himself. He stopped, looked up at Red, and snarled. He was in agony, but who wouldn't be with his entire head on fire? 
With a tremendous effort, the Thulian struggled to raise his arm cannon, only to scream in pain as Red drove his foot down, pinning the arm to the ground. Casually, Red unlatched his sidearm, cocked it, and aimed square between the Krieger's eyes. The Thulian stopped struggling. His head fell back, and over the ringing sounds of gunfire and explosions, Red heard him choke out two words. Mac The genie paused. He realized this was war. For all his time spent dodging bullets, fighting for his life, and all that other fun stuff that seemed to crop up in a mercenary shithead's career, he had always enjoyed a certain emotional detachment when it came to ending someone's life. No, that wasn't entirely true. He remembered the vault. When he had torn the life out of that kid, how it had tasted. Like ashes. And that wasn't the first time. Truth be told, he remembered them all, from the mob bosses to the heads of industry to those few unfortunate bystanders who had been in the wrong place at the wrong time. He had fooled himself for years. Some of them deserved it, didn't they? It had become a game of numbers, those that deserved it and those that didn't. As long as one column was longer than the next, it was all good. But it was a lie something he told himself so that he could move on to the next job, the next score, the next hit. Red felt the grip on his gun falter and shake. Was this it? Was this what Jack felt when he had emptied two entire magazines into him in the vault? You stood your ground, you kept your gun on your target, and you went cold. But inside... Inside, the battle raged between your training and the mission and that part of you screaming to stop, to lower your weapon and find another way. Because there was always a cost when a life was snuffed out. On the same day, he had lived through one insane event after another, each trumping the last, and it had culminated with Amethyst being blasted away in a torrent of blinding light. And here, lying at his feet was one of the bastards that had taken her from him. Red knelt down, his hand no longer shaking, and pressed the muzzle to the Krieger's head. Makdu! the Thulian screamed. Makdu Untermenschwein! Do it! Red stopped cold. He stared at the slits in the Krieger's helmet. You couldn't see the eyes. You couldn't see anything human about whatever was in there. So why was it that he was reminded of that mob boss he'd taken out in Manhattan? He had given up a lot that day as well, and years after to become the man he was. It had cost him his love, an unborn child, his future. There was always a cost. Memories flashed in his head. Images and scenes fired in a rhythmic staccato picture show. A still, dark bedroom. A sudden slash of his claws. A young man begging for his life only to be silenced with a neat slip of a small wire around his throat. Him screaming at Vix. I've killed people for this. And he had. Why couldn't he do it now? Because there was always a cost. 
He had made many bad choices in his life, taken many questionable roads that offered little besides the thrill of the contest, of the hunt, immediate gratification. Sometimes the glory of the moment passed, and you were left with nothing but the void, and you stumbled along until you found another high. Sometimes it took years for the scales to balance. Somewhere down the road, you really did pay for your sins. It had almost killed Vix, his anger and retreat from the bad choices he had made. He watched himself burst through the window of her apartment, spike her heart with adrenaline, and force Ipecac down her throat. He watched himself make a choice to revoke an oath, to begin a long and arduous road to redemption. The only choices that ever seemed to actually pay off were the ones that were selfless. That, at his very core, seemed right for no other reason than they would protect others, give others what they needed, what they deserved, even if he was to suffer. Why was Bella with Bull? Because she deserved someone like him. The seraphim had warned him of the consequences of his choices. Ten years ago, hell, perhaps just months ago, he would have double-tapped this Krieger bastard through his flaming, vulnerable helmet. But he was better than this. Rather, he wanted to be. And if he wanted more, he would have to earn it. All right, angel lady. I get it. I do. So this is my choice. I don't need any more needless bloodshed on my hands. He lowered his gun. No one would blame you, you know. Red glanced to his side. Mel had joined him, her own sidearm trained on the helpless Krieger. Can't do it, he said. I'm not that guy anymore. She gave him a puzzled look shrugged and cocked her pistol. She hesitated. He turned and watched as the familiar conflict seemed to rage across her features. I get it, Mel agreed. When you're a soldier, you have to turn it off. If you hesitate, you die. I heard that every day they drilled it into you, cause you don't enlist ready to do any of this. At the beginning, I just wanted to help people. I didn't think I'd have to make decisions like this or point a gun at an enemy and turn him into a stain on the battlefield. The girl they sent to war, she wouldn't have thought twice about this sort of thing. She flashed Red a wry smile and lowered her weapon. Guess I'm not that girl anymore. He stared at her, startled, and finally nodded. He exhaled and took in the field. The sounds of combat had ceased. They were surrounded by scores of dead Kriegers. He grimaced as he tallied the number of fallen Echo soldiers. There weren't many, but even then one was too many. He caught a glimpse of Bella as she instructed her troops to do a final sweep over the grounds. Yo, boss lady, he shouted ignoring his echo comm device. We taken prisoners? Bella glanced over at him and nodded, looking first surprised at the question and then almost irrationally happy. 
fetch your ass, she shouted, and waved two of the echo ops who were nearest her. Bag him and tag him, boys. Stand down, Jeannie, Bulwark rumbled, with an odd, was it approving? Look at Red. I've got this. He joined the other two as Red backed off, and together they hauled the captured soldier away. From behind the shield wall, Bob staggered into view. With shaking hands, he mopped the sweat from his brow with his jacket. Screw this noise, he shuddered. From now on, I'm jogging at the waterworks. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.